everyone, I'm Yumi Kendall. And I'm Joseph Conyers. And welcome to Tacit No More, a podcast where we are no longer silent, asking the questions that need to be asked and saying the things that need to be said about classical music. Tacit No More is an optimist's playground and landing pad for positive discussions about our belief in the power of music to better humanity. And we will invite voices from all sectors to inspire us in the work we do on and off the stage. Joe and I have been friends for nearly 25 years and have over 40 years between us as professional musicians. We've had the best of conversations. Would you join us? Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for another episode of Tacit No More. Absolutely, looking forward to it. <laughs> How are you doing, Yumi? <laughs> I'm, I'm okay. Good. You know, the weather's finally nice. Yes, it is. Thankfully, yeah. it is. It's. I still can't believe you you were about to go to Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt as a meteorologist, but then you chose Curtis for base. Like, how lucky are we? Yes, the, the, the meteorology career did not quite pan out. However, Jim Cantori, if you're listening, I would not mind joining you uh, on location for the next hurricane. That you're is like still always a possibility. In-house tornado watcher. That's right. It's great. That's right. <laughs> Um, well, it's exciting to be back here today because we are inviting a longtime friend, the incomparable Karen Slack. Yes. Um, soprano, singer, Philly girl, right Woo! here from Philadelphia. Uh, went to the Creative and Performing Arts High School uh, right here in town, just down yeah. the street from the Kimmel Center. But uh, Karen, we've known for a long time, and Karen has always been a larger-than-life personality, both on the stage and off the stage, and, and her friendships and the warmth that she shares just being a person on the planet. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to chatting with her. I've actually only got rather intimidating memories of her, only because the vocal department at Curtis was so, at the time, so separate from, you know, us, us lowly us lowly humans, because even then the, the rooms were up high on the highest floor of the building, and, and so there was even this physical distance, but I always remember looking up to her um, for her artistry and for who she is and who she has become as well, so I'm really excited. And that's something we can totally unpack one day, maybe on another episode, this, this interesting <laughs> uh, divide, sometimes seemingly divide between the vocalist and the instrumentalist in a music school, but that's... Yes. We digress. But the bass room, you the, have pointed yes. out before. <laughs> the bass room, that's right. We were, we had the great opportunity to uh, associate ourselves with the gods of the school in the, in the vocal department because the bass room was just down the hallway from the opera department. So we would always hear and sometimes fight for the rooms, <laughs> but hear the vocalist and uh, uh, Karen being one of them. And it's just so exciting to be able to have this conversation a few years after the fact, a few years after leaving leaving school, but to talk about um, her path, uh, the path that she's forged, and um, the impact that she's having on her opera community. I'm so looking forward to this. Let's welcome Karen Slack. Good to see you. <laughs> good to see you. Oh my gosh. This is oh. awesome. I know, and not like on a stage, like with your <laughs> instruments or anything like that. Oh man, <laughs> this is so awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. A very new space for us. This is old school, an old hat for you. So maybe you can give us some pointers. <laughs> I normally do mine with a glass of wine, but you know what? Like, hey, never too soon. <laughs> just go with the flow, right? Like we're family, so it's all good. That's right. This is great. This is great. Can you tell us where you are and what you're up to? Yes, yes. So last night I flew to Portland, Oregon. That's where I am here now doing um, a concert on Friday night with Will Liverman again. I'm with Will and um, we're doing scenes from Terrence Blanchard's Fire Shut Up In My Bones. Oh, oh how awesome is that? So is that what you did in Carnegie like last night or two days ago or? Yeah. <laughs> I sure was. I sure was. Love it. <laughs> At Carnegie Hall on... Um, what is today? I, I was on Saturday, Saturday night okay. with Will again doing uh, Beethoven's Egmont and um, also uh, arrangements of spirituals by Jasmine Barnes dedicated to Paul Robeson. That's amazing. Wow. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, just trailblazing jet setter Karen Absolutely. Slack. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really, really incredible, Karen. As a matter of fact, and that's one of the reasons we. We want to have you on because I, I, we, we were talking about you a little bit before we actually got you on. But um, one of the things that, whenever we think of Karen, you've always been unapologetically you, in a space 
that doesn't necessarily entertain or celebrate in the visualism, particularly in the symphonic world, maybe a bit more in the uh, operatic world. Can you tell us about just being you, whether it's just where there's fashion, where there's Philly through and through, which Karen Slack absolutely is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah talk, to, talk to us about that uh, in, in your space in the opera world. Well, I think in the opera world, it's interesting because everyone loves a personality. Everyone loves a big personality up until mm. the point where it makes them uncomfortable or it makes them um, feel. Mm. You know, we're all about the feels, right? But when you start to really penetrate people, it makes them, it knocks them off guard. I don't know. I've always been comfortable with who I am in my skin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up, grew up in North Philly, grew up. Um, one of the only few kids in my in my community who was e even able to admit that they loved classical music or had a gift or whatever, right. but I was always embraced uh, mm -hmm. for my gift and being different, you know, and so I just always was, and I was always supported, so I always felt comfortable yeah. in my skin, you know, how I was raised, my parents encouraged me, so I, I never knew how to um, come into a space without being me. Yeah. You know, it's to put on airs. You know, it was interesting. Like in my career, when I first started singing, there was a big manager, big, big, big manager in Europe. And he was interested in me. And he said, you know, Karen, you you have almost everything. There's just one thing missing. And I don't even remember what it, what it was. <laughs> I, I don't even remember what he, right? Like, I don't even remember. And I, re I just remember wrecking my brain and just feeling like, oh my God, what is it? Like, how do I, how do I find this thing that he's saying, you know, asking me to find, and what is this thing missing? And he's like, I'll sign you if you, you know, whatever, right. whatever. Mm -hmm. And after about three weeks, I was like, it, it, this ain't gonna happen. Right. Like, yeah. I don't know what you want from me. I don't, all I can be is myself. All I can do is make the sound that God gave yeah. me, I, you know? And I think that, I think now that we're in a time where, and I think social media has a lot to do with this, yes. where people want to know so much about you. Right. They want to know you. They want to, but outside of, you know, what you eat for breakfast and, you know, what you do on your free time, I think that people resonate more to people who are really who, you know, yeah. connect who they are on the inside. And so I think the industry has no choice but to accept that, yeah, yeah. you know, all the airs and all the things are just ridiculous now. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to spend time with people with all the airs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Karen, actually, I, I want you to unpack that a little bit because I, I, I love how you said you were unapologetically yourself in growing up and going to school as a high schooler, loving classical music in, a, in a, an environment that probably knew very little. Um, and I, 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 the reason I bring that up is I feel like that's very much like my upbringing, um, particularly in the black community. There, we grew up in a time where there was no social media. So find, looking for folks um, who look like us and do what we do in this space, um, mm -hmm. uh, uh, we didn't have those role models so at, at our fingertips. They, of course, they existed. But yeah, talk to us more about that. I went to the Kappa Performing Arts High School, um, and I've only ever been around people who were incredible singers. Like, I didn't grow up in church necessarily, like many Black yeah. singers who grew up in the gospel tradition. I did not. My parents were much more liberal and like, you'll find your way and like, you know, just be a good person and, and you know, <laughs> you'll, you'll figure it out. But I always had my voice, always had my gift, I always had this big, loud, high kind of voice that people embraced. Right. Even even in middle school, when I was in the seventh grade, my teacher said, Karen, you need to sing. But she was this Italian lady mm. you know, who was like, you have a gift. You need to sing. You have a great ear. You can halfway sight read. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like all these things I did not grow up yeah. in, into. Um, and so I think when I stepped into a space where there were so many other young people who had great voices and I came in with my opera voice as this like, black girl, you yep. know, it wasn't something that was, um, I, I sort of, I, I was spoiled at Kappa because there were a lot of great, great talent. That's amazing. Um, a lot. But when I started, as I started to ascend into other spaces where I was the only black girl, only black woman, and always expected to be great, right? Okay. You walk out on the yeah. stage before you open your mouth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
very similar to, to being an Asian violinist, right? Like you are expected to come into the space already great, no matter what, what, what your past was. I didn't start feeling, even at Curtis, there were like lots of us singers, you know, yeah. there were a lot of black singers. Yeah. And Michael Larson made a point to make that space, you know, um, diverse. It wasn't until I got into my career that I started to feel really, really like, where I started to feel it. Yeah. Um, and it's hard. It is hard. It's lonely. Yeah. And also, even amidst, even in, in the midst, and I will speak to this amongst Black artists, we need to break the idea that we there can only be one, there can only be two. Right. We really need to dismantle that idea as you ascend, as you get higher, like being the token, being the only one, being you know. Like there's more power in numbers than there are, you know, just being just being the only lone yeah. Right. one. Yeah. yeah. And I think as we are training these young, as we're on this side, right? We're yes. on the other side now. We are having performing careers and we are working with young artists. Um, we, we have to empower them to say, yes, when you are in these spaces and you are the only one, there is power in that too. Yes. But there are also power in bringing others into the space who look like you and not in a competitive way. You need each other in community. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This is so beautiful to hear all this. And I just want to interject briefly how wonderful it is to hear your perspective and your positive perspective, um, even when faced with challenges. And I wanted to point out one of the goals and wishes of our podcast is exactly what you exemplify, Karen, so beautifully. Um, and creating a positive space, a safe, trusted space for our listeners and for all of us who are doing our best to um, make our classical music industry stronger and better with everybody in it. And one of the activities that we wanted to invite you to do with us is something that we call One Good Thing Exercise. This is an activity that brings connection and openness and it orients us to the positive like you do naturally. And these are all values that are important to us. It's kind of like shining a flashlight in a dark room and what we pay attention to is what we experience. So we wanna ask ourselves and invite you to as well, Karen and our listeners, um, share with us what is something meaningful? What is something you're grateful for recently? And I'll start with something of mine, and maybe Joe will, and Karen, we would love to hear from you as well about this, um, if you're willing. This morning, um, my daughter and I went up to our gardener, botanist neighbor's house with the help of my parents, who um, she gave us three raspberry bushes and straight from her yard and they're all like intertwined roots she's a specialist in all the way the plants grow and the kind of dirt and everything we need and phoebe was playing in the in the compost pile and finding worms and we brought them over to our house and um, mom and i planted them phoebe helped with the dirt and watering them and watering herself and and it just was such a a great example of simplicity and giving from one neighbor to the next but also i'm personally really looking forward to seeing these little raspberry bushes grow and going out to pick them when they're ripe, hopefully in the summer. Um, but that was just one of those um, human moments to me of a generous neighbor and family coming together for something super simple. That's amazing. <laughs> I love it. What's yours? I love it. What's no, that's great. One good thing? Well, I wish I, I could be out with nature. <laughs> I live right in the heart of the city, so there's not a lot of nature to see. So my wilderness ends up being my email inbox. Okay. And so I think my 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 one good thing is and I people talk to me about this cuz I do wear a lot of hats, I do a lot of different things, but um being able to clean out my inbox and cleaning out my inbox means I'm responding to them and when I'm responding to them that means oftentimes I'm saying no. Mm, so powerful. being able to appreciate mm -hmm. the the fact that I how can I say, I uh, value myself enough mm -hmm. to know when to put up the guardrails and say, nope, I can't do this because I don't have time or it doesn't fit my schedule um, so that my inbox does not totally consume me. That's amazing. <laughs> Huge applause for that accomplishment. And that's a twofer. <laughs> that's a right? Because you're not only 
practically cleaning out your inbox, but you're also doing the oxygen mask of taking care of yourself. That is correct. So that you can be Joe and take care of the world after that. <laughs> Karen, <laughs> what do you got for us? Gosh, there's a couple of things, and I'm always like in my head all the time. I'm a Virgo. I'm always like you have a lot of different things going on. And I'm always coming from a place of service. I'm always trying to help people. Like my husband's like, Karen, you cannot save everybody, you know? So there is that thing. So there are two things, but I will focus on the one thing. Um, I'm grateful for the connections that I've made over the years. I'm grateful that we can, after 20 years, be in this space together, you know? I, we have not, we went to school together. We haven't spent a lot of time together, like personal, like having dinner, drinking, whatever that, whatever that is, making music, making art. But I'm grateful for the connections that we both made so many years ago that we're able to be in this space together. I'm going to, it makes me very emotional because I look at you both. And I remember when Joe came to Curtis <laughs> and I went to school with your brother yeah. and like, there's just whole yeah. thing. Um, <laughs> It makes me very emotional, but I'm but the gratitude uh, for the um for the gift of music that we have that has brought us the three of us together. So to me, that is the one thing I'm just grateful. That's amazing for connection. Oh, yes. that's amazing. Big, big <laughs> I love <heart>. it. <laughs> now, Karen, you mentioned Will Liverman, so uh, we there's a connection there because Will um and i received the sphinx medal of excellence at the same time and you yourself just received the sphinx medal of excellence was it last year 2022 yeah 20 <laughs> that's amazing i thought i was too old i thought i was too old when when, when um off and aaron called me i literally was weeping like i literally was weeping and aaron was looking at me like what's wrong with this girl and i'm like well so deserving <laughs> So deserving. And um, I know one of the things, I mean, you being you, you took advantage in the pandemic. Kiki conversation started like right away, right? It was like April of, was it April of 2020? Wow. And became literally like a, a, this beautiful um, uh, well where everyone gets together. I mean, I used to watch you all the time. It was great. (laughs) Um, And and just the conversations that you were having. Can you talk to us about that process um, and allowing folks in in that way? You were talking about, uh, um, yeah, just, just, what we talked about earlier about sometimes there seems to be a distance, but in your case, you allowed the folks in and other folks allowed you into their space. Just, yeah, that was amazing to watch. Yes. You know, I was sitting at home. Of course, we all thought it was just going to be a couple of right. weeks. Right. Then we thought, oh, the fall, by the fall, we'll be <laughs> right. back. And then we realized by like March that nobody was going anywhere. We were like, it ain't happening. Um, and so I saw a lot of artists doing a lot of things, um, live performances, well, virtual performances, um, doing a lot of talking. This is way before even in our industry, we knew anything about podcasting because nobody really was doing things like mm-hmm. that. And a lot of people were doing like Instagram live and, you know, right. talking to people. So anyway, I just was sitting at my dining room table. We call it a kitchen table, you know, <laughs> kitchen table is everything right in the house. Yeah. So. yeah. I have this idea. My husband is always like, oh, Lord, Karen. Because I'm always like, listen, I got this idea. And he's always just like, what is she going to do now? I said, I have this thing, Kiki Conversations, because Kiki is my nickname. And he's like, okay. And so I just started writing things down, writing things down. And it also came out of the fact that a lot of people were doing, again, like two highbrow stuff, Mm -hmm. right? This kind of like can we just have a conversation like when we're in a gig right. and mm-hmm. we're like talking to each other and like vibing right like I just didn't feel like anybody was doing that yep. and so I said we're going to get a glass of wine because at that point everybody was drinking everybody was eating everything <laughs> everybody was like it, it was like all bets are off right because we didn't know whether or not you're going to walk out and I mean you know I don't even need to get into all that but and so I call, I, I wrote down a list of people that I wanted to to interview. And then, so I said, oh, I'll, I'll interview Jeanette and Bridges because Jeanette and mm-hmm. I are very yes. good friends. Yes. And so, and you know, of course she's a superstar. And I said, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'll want to talk to her. And I had no idea that just, that I even had the skill set to sit in 
engage with someone in that way where people would be interested. Uh, and again, like I, I just was just having a conversation. I, I love to talk. I love to listen mm-hmm. to people. Our stories, you know, I'm a storyteller by, by my gift. So of course I'm always taking people's stories in. And so then Terrence Blanchard and Robin uh, Burgess, Terrence's wife manager called me and said, we're going next. And I'm like, what the hell? I don't even know what I'm doing. I have no, I haven't gone to school for this. I haven't like, you know, but again, yeah. it is my gift of connection. I think people connected with me. And then I just started every week. I would call people and say, Hey, you know, would you love to come? Would you come on? And people were home. Yeah. And combos became a thing. Yeah. Um, and what really turned for me is that, you know, when, when George Floyd was murdered, um, and we all had, and all the companies had blacked out their, you know, Instagrams and said, we stand and right. da, da, da. I, I leaned into having the conversations around racism and sexism in our industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's when it really turned, turned around for me. Cause again, as warm and inviting and funny and smart and all the things that I am, I'm not afraid to, to talk about this, yep. the, the stuff. Yep. You know, yeah. so that we can move past and we can get past. That's that Philly side. That's, right. Always yes. with us. <laughs> that's great. That's great. So, yeah, that's how Commerce was born. What, yeah. So I would say through that process, particularly given that period you after George Floyd's death, um, what did you feel like you learned the most and or may not have been discussed prior in our industry to that time period that was finally getting a voice at that time? Well, what was happening was that a lot of the conversations that we all have, all of us artists of color have from private oh. became public. Yeah. Yeah. And so when they were, and I don't know if you guys immense your own circles have those kind of conversations, but singers, black singers definitely yep. do like on the low. Right. Yep. Um, the one thing that I learned was that we as artists do not empower our own self with the agency that we already, we don't even know we have agency. Mm, we don't yeah. even know we have control. Right. And I think the instrumentalists learn it differently than singers do mm-hmm. because you guys come to your instruments so early, so much earlier than mm. we do. Yep. Even in programming, um, collaboration, like all of the skill sets that you need to be a professional musician, right? Like singers are always given things. You know, you have to go to your coach, you have to go to your voice teacher, you know, they have you have to wait for someone to hire yep. you for an opera. You gotta wait for these things, right? There is so so we so our agency, we don't even know it. We have it, you know? And so um that is what I learned. And I learned that. And I still push this all the time. Like, if it was not for the artist, our industry would be like, yeah. And during that period, like everybody else was doing the work except classical music, right? Right. And Hollywood, music theater, like classical music. And if it had not been for us, our our industry would be like wouldn't even be relevant. Yeah. And so um, they they need us. They need us. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think? Because I'm reflecting, and I'm I'm gonna in, uh, inject myself a little bit into this. I I've done a lot of reflection. I'm in my 40s now, and I look back at the beginning of my career and all the things that were going on at the beginning of my career. And now I'm looking, to, I mean, I'm looking at the future of my career, and I'm wondering, will I see in this lifetime the change? Will I see so that to your point, the conversations are not happening? on the DL, but they're actually happening through Kiki Conversations. But will it make for the change that um, uh, that all of us would like to see um, when it comes to representation, when it comes to stories, uh, when it comes to composers who were, who've been historically overlooked um, for the reasons of, of color? Do you, in your eyes, uh, I know it may be a, a large question to ask, but do you see the other side? Do you see the, the, the I'm thinking of a song we used to sing in church, uh, One More River the Cross. Do you see us crossing that last river, getting to the, getting, uh, getting to, to that, that place? What you think, John? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's because it, we can't even, we can't even, in our in our country, get acknowledged that that the 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 black people reserve reparations, yeah. right? right? 
there needs we can't get past the fact that like criminal justice yeah. reform prison reform um immigrate uh, anti-immigration like law like we can't even get past any yeah. of that yeah you think that's what happened in the concert hall in our time? We listen. We have to do our best. We are a part of a lineage of people who have, you know, yes. struggled and fought for us. Love us to have opportunities, and we can. And I can say, I always say, classical music is the cruise ship. You can't turn a cruise ship like you turn. That's a jet right. Right. That's yeah. right. Right. Yep. Yep. Right. It just takes time, but you got to keep the wheel. You got to keep moving the wheel, moving the wheel. Like you know, you got to keep pushing. Progress is always. Three steps forward, you know, two steps back. Yeah. Like, and and I, I I'm glad you asked me that question. So joining when I was in Carnegie Hall mm-hmm. on Saturday, and we we did Jasmine Barnes' arrangements of spirituals and Beethoven's Egmont on the second mm-hmm. half. That was on the second half, and it was glaringly obvious. Like, okay, so what's the significance of putting of continuing? To do things like Egmont and then having like mm-hmm. Jasmine Barnes's arrangement of spirituals that was so powerful, that was so moving, that was so, you know, what is this? Like we have to, within putting these things together, understand that sometimes the new stuff is going to overshadow the old mm-hmm. stuff and it's going to move it out. Yeah. And some people are going to have a problem with that. And that uh. is a okay because that needs to happen. <laughs> and that is absolutely. And listen, I want to continue. I want to sing Beethoven, I want to sing Malamar, I want to continue to sing all that, but it's okay right. to have in the hollow all these spaces where yes. Jasmine Barnes, you can put a Jasmine Barnes or a Sean Ocapabolo yeah. or a, a Simon, a, a Carlos Simon, and they go pound for pound with the old dead white European guys. Right. And that's okay. I mean, right. Well, like, this is super, super inspiring to hear. And I, I wanted to un- hear more your internal, um, r- like how you reconcile this, struggle of knowing that we're not going to see the change that we need to see in our lifetime. And yet Mm -hmm. you, Karen Slack, are such an inspiration with your work ethic, your talent, your skill, your everything about you. How do you reconcile like working that out within yourself? And to that end, what advice or what words of what would you say to that next generation who might be struggling with seeing the obstacles more than the light at the end mm-hmm. of the tunnel, so to speak? Can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about that? Yes. You have to know why. Mm-hmm. You have to know why you are doing your art. Mm-hmm. You have to know why you want to fight for equity. Like, you have to know why. Because yeah. <laughs> when you know why, that'll tell you everything you need to know. Yeah. Everybody ain't built for this kind of work, yeah. right? Everybody's not built for putting names in a room, creating opportunities for other people, creating art, you know, so that people, everybody ain't able to open that window and keep the door open, right? Yeah. So you just have to know why, yeah. I think. You have to know that this that your, what you have to say is important, what you have to give is important, and you just got to know why, why, you're, why you're doing it. And it is going to be hard, and it is going to be... Um, it's not easy. It's not easy to stand in these spaces, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That you guys are in. Yeah. It's not yeah. easy to be playing in the are, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> like, I mean, like it is not it is not an easy thing, but um I I just that that's the only thing that I can say yeah. um for people and you have to keep creating, you have to keep building, you have to keep working, or you should go do something right. else. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just that simple for me. Yeah. And people say, Oh, Karen, you're so you know, I t- if you don't eat, sleep it. Love it. Also know that it's going to be hard work, but you lean into it and take your rest. I'm not good at taking my rest, but yeah. now I, I, I understand now because I literally got burned out. I literally worked with the straight through the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I did it. I had to understand, you know, what that kind of work meant versus learning an aria, learning a role, yeah. learning a recital. That's a very different kind of work than the other things that many of us are doing. Right. um, But I had to go, why are you killing yourself? Ah, because it's important for me, for legacy is important to me, not just to have my name attached to legacy, not to my name attached to something, but that legacy is a part of just having a door open. Many people in the fight for um, civil rights, Mm -hmm. social justice, whatever, you don't know their names. That's right. You don't know these people. Right. (laughs) That's right. 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 And it's not because they weren't, they didn't work hard. It's not because they didn't do the work. It's just because 
that's how history works. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. But they play their part. Yes. And they allowed they allowed us the space to to yes. to be where we are. And that's for everyone. It's I mean, like yeah. humbling and inspiring all at once yeah. to know you're playing your part in one small way. And I'm up from a place of service. Yes. I, I always say that to people. Like, I do feel like I'm a vessel when I make my music and my art. And I come from a place of service. So service doesn't mean just to serve me or the music, right? right. It is to serve the entire genre. Yeah. Karen, where does that come from? Because I'm the same way. I'm curious. Where does that come from for you? What's the, what's the, what? What's the inspiration for that service piece? Because what to me you're talking about is it, it provides a purpose to all the work that you're doing. So yeah, mm-hmm. where, where does that come from for you? I think I get it from my parents uh-huh. for sure. My father was a basketball coach for 50 years uh, in the inner city. In North Philly, yeah. he had his own basketball league, a sport, athletic league. Um, my dad is the unofficial mayor of North Philly, I always say that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> in our pocket where we come from. But also, it is how I fill myself up. Yes. I've always had a beautiful voice. I can always sing a song. Yes. Even before I knew German and French and Italian and knew the histrionics, yeah. I could sing a song. Yeah. I could always lift those black notes off the white page. So that is just a thing, yeah. right? It, it needs to have more weight. It needs to be more. It needs to have a the purpose. Mm. I found the purpose in why... Why lifting those black notes off the white page means something, yeah. right? It's like, ah, uh, it, ha- it has to be deeper, right? You can phone it in only for so long. Yeah. Care, I, I just love it. And I have to say this because I, it's so inspirational and it's so wonderful to hear hear these words come from you because I feel like in our space, we, um, we, we forget that collectively as an industry. What is the industry's purpose? What, why do we do the work that we, we do? Who are we serving? Mm. And I, your perspective of the fact that we're sharing, the fact that we are part of a, a, a longer um, a legacy of, of making things better for the future, to me, gives a purpose to what we do that inspires me to want to play more concerts, mm-hmm. inspires me to want to engage more people. Um, and I mean, and then the Kumbaya moment inspires me to literally use music to make, make the world a better place. Um, well, yeah. Also, like, okay, I, and you just lit a bell for me in my head, right? Because sometimes we're serving people who don't even want us to be there, right? right? right. Mm-hmm. We're giving, right? We we are still serving people that we have to beg them for the support and beg them right. to, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so again, it's that purpose or an audience that's like, I don't, I don't ugh, classical music, <laughs> yuck. And you know, you have to stand there and take them licks. That's right. <laughs> right, as you were engaging on it. So one side you have the elite that are like, what, you know, why are we doing this? Right. All this woke, da, 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 da. and then you have people like, ew, I don't like classical music. Like, you know, there is that, it is, it is, again, it's greater than who you are. It's deeper. It's deeper. It comes from a, di- a different yeah. place. And it's hard for the industry to do it. It's hard because to your point, there are a lot of people say, why do we do this? But then you look at the Metropolitan Opera and the ticket sales for all the modern. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it starts to, it well, starts to tell you something. Like a larger example of your Carnegie performance. Correct. Where like Egmont is being you know, pushed away. <laughs> and the thing is, and I think I'll be the first to say, you said it too, but I feel like it's, it, it won't hurt to to repeat it. Like, I, I actually, I love Beethoven. I love Brahms. I love, the, these are great composers who have added so much to this, the, to what we do, but to, how can I say, to take that lineage and have it usurp the possibilities mm-hmm. for the future yeah. is a disservice to what we are and who we are and what we do, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, we just did a quartet concert the other day with Florence Price, second string quartet, and then a Brahms string quartet. And the audience afterwards, we did hanging out and chatting with everyone. Hands down, all of the questions were about Florence Price, because I did explain that back in 2009, a lot of her library was found in the upstairs of her abandoned when the new homeowners came in and they're like, oh, what's in these boxes? Oh, let's not throw them away. Let's oh, this is composition. Oh, this is, it turned out to be most of her library, right? And so, so much of the audience was captivated by her piece. Nobody asked about Brahms. (laughs) Nobody asked about Brahms. And it was so heartwarming to see that kind of 
engagement and interest and interaction with hearing and openness to hearing this beautiful work yeah. and what they were calling a new work, even though it's from like before 1950. Yeah. But it was mm. wonderful to see that. And so I think there's a real a rightful possibly an energy that we're doing the work that we need to be doing that's paying off. Absolutely. It, to me, it's just the, the possibilities because if we limit it to who we are and there's no change, then then <laughs> there's, there's nothing to... It's almost like seeing future generations or having children you know there's a future because things are different right and and you and you want to provide that space um but in, if you're only looking backwards then yeah absolutely and i'm so proud of our generation you know we get a bad we at our generation of classical music you know the 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 old the younger ones can't stand us they want us out right <laughs> and the old ones are like shut up with all this wokes you know all this stuff and they just say they but you know what we 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 are gonna we are culture yeah. we need to be like this we are building the culture yes. that we want to in right now that we want to give our we've given our lives to this art this art form yes. mm -hmm. Damn it, i've given my life to this <laughs> art form i'm going to have the shit the way i want it mm -hmm. right? right right and then i'm going to leave something for someone else so they can continue to build just the way they left for us like yes. we need to think about that yes. like and to really lean into we are changing culture for our industry it's exciting I'm proud stuff. Of us. Yes, yes, ma'am. Karen. <laughs> yeah. I'm so curious in your many leadership roles. You know, you're with your, let's see, American Co Composers Orchestra, Portland Opera, Women's Opera Network. Um, and I'm so curious in your roles, um, in leadership roles offstage like that, have how has your work changed at that level with? the boards with, to the extent that you're able to talk about these, and I just listed organizations, but you, of course we're not representing specifically any of the organizations <laughs> we're, we're talking about, we're speaking as individuals here, um, but we're really curious about the kind of changes you've seen either on stage, meaning with programming or with hiring and casting, to the decisions and how the actual behind the scenes conversations are going in those decision making roles that you're in as well. Can you talk about that a little bit in whatever way you're comfy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, I, I, I say, say the say, say the thing. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I did not realize the dynamics of boards mm. until I got on a call. I was like, "Ooh, I don't want to be here." But then I, <laughs> then I was like, "It's important for you to be there because they don't know mm. what artists need. Yes. They don't know mm. how the." how the engine really runs, right. Right? right? They they see the oil go in the engine and they see it running, but they don't understand the other things. Yet they are um, the decision makers. Mm. <laughs> right. So, so I was just like, oh God, I wanted to run out of the door, but I was like, no, stay. At least be you know specific about which ones. And I love American Composers Orchestra. Mm -hmm. um, if if no if you don't know anything else about me, know that I am all I am here to empower composers. Mm -hmm. I am here. I will sing your stuff even if it's bad, and I will tell you it's bad. Or I will tell you it's good. Like I I just feel like we need to we we always say every composer should have have a not every a man have a Rolls Royce yeah. of an of a drop. Are driving the car, you know what I mean, so that you can really hear whether or not your stuff is good or bad, That's you know, right. or somewhere in the middle, right? Um, so I'm I'm all here for empowering that. Um, and I know it's important for me as a black woman to be in those spaces, mm -hmm. you know, as a woman to be in the, to, as a woman artist to be in those spaces, those spaces like that. So I've learned so much. Um, when I work at Banff teaching, who the heck thought I would even do something like that in Canada? Of all, like, you know, I'm American, like I'm a black American and I'm teaching at a, a, a institution in Canada. Like, but I'm, but when people see me, then, it, then people feel like they can apply. Yes. Yeah. They can, you know, and also non, um, White people, let's just say white people mm -hmm. can be in a space in a in a teaching where I'm the teacher and they're the student and understand the dynamic of that and be comfortable with that because that's a whole other conversation. Mm -hmm. When your teacher does not look like yeah. you or your teacher is from a marginalized community, or, uh, I hate to say that, but y'all know what I'm yep, saying. Yep, yep. When you're white and you have to be taught by somebody who is not white. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I know that that's important, yeah. right? Because we always connect whiteness to leadership. Mm -hmm. So it is important for me 
to be in all of these spaces, yeah. doing all of these things, particularly as a singer, particularly as a soprano, because oftentimes singers are just your voice. No one, no one knew I was this person Good. until I created a platform and positioned myself to, to be in those spaces and have those intellectual conversations, have those conversations, because those are, those are things that have already been going on in my brain yeah. already. Yeah. There's the agency right. that you're talking about before. Exactly. Yeah. My work in Women's Opera Network, singers, wanting to be a part of administration. You couldn't even talk about that. Yeah. You couldn't say what you wanted to do outside of, I want to sing at the Met, yeah. and I want to sing at La Scala, right. and I want to sing all of the Verdi and Puccini, and, right. you know? Right. You guys at least know that you have, you can do chamber music, you can do orchestral, you can solo, right. you, you know, right. mm -hmm. you can create your own quartets <laughs> and quintets. Right. There's no space for right. us right. for those things. And if you don't get to the mountaintop, you're a failure, yeah. right? Like if you don't have this level of career, there's, there's only A to Z right. in our world. Right. But I am creating an alternative and I did not even know I was doing yes, that. Yes, you did. Carve your own, you carve your own path. If there's not a road right. there, you make one. <laughs> you build exactly. one. Exactly. <laughs> I love a no. I love a no. I won't. To an extent. But you know what I mean? Tell me I can't. That's right. Okay. Watch it out. Yes, ma'am. I love it. <laughs> And I don't even know where that came from. I really don't know. I really don't know. I, I think, I, like I said, I think it went from zero to 100. Like, it used to be low-key, and now it's like, all right. Well, that might be the water in Philly yeah. kicking in even more, you know. As we, that's, <laughs> definitely the water. Schuylkill River, Schuylkill River punch. That's Maybe right. she got one of your, like, no emails. Like, your no email from your one good oh, that's finger. Right. She got a no email from you, and then we're like, okay, we got to change things. Go rogue. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, I wanted to ask, um, this is this is so inspiring to talk to you, Karen. Thank you so much for sharing your gifts of sh your sharing self with us. Um, yeah, please, anytime, come on. One thing that when we were thinking about our call with with you and it's it's even more sensitive than some of the other things we've talked about. So we can um, we can talk about this in whatever way you are comfortable or not. Um, but I wanted to ask you about how you've seen hiring practices change at all, and particularly with regards to blackface um, mm. and the related areas. Is there anything about that that you'd be willing to share with us? Um, well, the hiring practices have gotten better uh, in, with, in diversity, but not in a sustainable way. Mm -hmm. It's just like, okay, here you go. We're going to give you all these things. Or or they only give you, oh, Asian stories or Black stories mm -hmm. or Latin stories. And say, See, we're being diverse, right? Or the, you know, the idea that it's, of course, the February is, you know, Black History Month. You know, right. they get all of the, you know, how that works. <laughs> I think it's gotten better, but again, there's no real plan to sustain it in place. You know, I think people, I think institutions got a real shock when Melanin Ford pulls back some of that money mm, right. that they were getting, yeah. you know, or the institution. And again, being on the other side, that's how you know. You don't know on the on the on the performer side about how all the logistics around yeah. grants and grants and programming, right? Mm. And so I think that was a real wake-up call for people when Melanin said, Nope, mm. we're gonna take this money or we're not gonna give it to you until you do the thing. But again, when you're firing people that you hired um, or, or created EDI positions, that is that this is what we're talking about. Yeah. If you have to see this, what when you put people in leadership, you have to put things around them. That's effort, that's money, that's time. Yes, but that is the work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea around blackface and yellowface. Listen, I have had an, uh, uh, different ideas about that because it did not offend me because again, I'm trained in the old school. Yeah. It didn't offend me because I didn't see, I know the history of blackface. I never thought that what we did in America, outside, well, and in certain parts of Europe, um, outside of Italy and Germany, where they really, that's really is blackface, the painting that they do. Um, but it goes to a deeper issue of there are not even people that work in opera that really know how to do makeup for even my skin tone. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Like, so the idea yeah. of blackface and painting, and, you know, I just think that also, also, I think that there are directors who are not, who are not pushed enough to do the work around 
um, making sure that the audience realizes where we are without painting people, right? right? Like, right. Mm-hmm. It's it, that's just, but again, it lies on the production and a director and a house. I don't think you need to paint people, but when I did not see any brown people or black people in Aida at the Met, I, that was like, mm. Mm. Yeah. I was a little bit when I saw the picture. I went, like, mm. <laughs> "What is this? This is like any opera, any any opera, you know." So that was a thing. And do I, you know, do I think that they need to make, um, you know, or do I, or nor do I think that only Asian sing, singers should sing Butterfly. Like I don't. Again, like it is that marginalizing communities. But until you have people in positions of power who understand when you make these choices, where you're making those choices from, and not some like white guy who is like, I took a class and I, a, a session and I have a certificate in ED. I like, no, 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 it is different. Yeah. Your investment is different. Your information is different. Your life is different. So until we decide that whoever makes the decisions is where we need the where need where we need the yes. change then things are going to change right i wanted to say something about the um yeah cuz some people think just scrap the scrap the um repertoire and i don't think that that's a, that's, a, that's a, a good option um yeah but i just yeah blackface yellowface you know and blackface is a thing too like if you just do black Operas that, that tell black stories, that's the sort of a form of blackface yeah. if you just only cast right. black singers in black repertoire. Right. Right. That's, that, that's just the opposite side of the point. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. This is fascinating perspective. No, it's really, really great to hear, especially for. Um, of course, those of us in the instrumental industry, you know, we have our auditions behind the screen for much of the audition, except for the finals in many, in many orchestras, not all, but, um, so our processes of hiring is completely different and Mm -hmm. also the history of, of, of blackface. And even of hearing you talk about like, you know, not having the right, like the makeup (laughs) for different skin tones is just beyond offensive. Like how, how primitive, some of the practices mm-hmm. still are in what I would consider my industry because opera is classical music. It's, <laughs> it's still like a, a possessive to me. Like I feel a sense of, of ownership and a sense of responsibility when thinking about how we can make things better. Yep. And so for our listeners yeah. hearing about this who may be in the instrumental world, I think it's really helpful to hear your perspective, not just because of, because of who you are and your expertise <laughs> and this, this, yeah, it's, painful it's painful to hear and it's obviously more um offensive to be living yeah. it <laughs> with the micro absolutely that's what i wanted, wanted to say you know having again people talk about like when you asked about um are things changing and everyone just sees the stage change or even people getting leadership positions or being asked to tables that they were not asked to before it still goes back to the fact that when you're doing theater, when you walk in day one, that's the first place that I go to day one. And it's important for your listeners to understand this, that because of my experiences, the first place I go to is wig and makeup because I don't mm-hmm. want it to be no problem ah. when I have to just worry about my voice. I want to make sure that the makeup is right, that the texture of the wig, now I'm wearing my silky right now, <laughs> but you know, but the texture of my wig looks right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and that it looks um all of the things that my costume is is right because again, sometimes you walk in and there that's where like isms come in, like race and all those things come in to sneak into those other ways where people don't take care of you in the way that they need to take care of you because they're like, oh, they'll be fine. I've seen it, I felt that. You know, and so no, my wig needs to be right, my makeup needs to be right, and it, you know, I need care. Mm-hmm. I need, some, I don't need somebody to hold my hand. I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm really good at taking care of myself. I've learned how to take care of myself. Like I don't need somebody to have my water bottle at the side and all this, <laughs> all the, you know, and not that, I, not that, and it came. I think it came from from not having those right. things that I had to learn take care of myself and then when you get them now, everyone's misled. You know, in the last few years, when I've been, you know, moving up pre-pandemic you know all that kind of stuff but now it's really like oh my goodness <laughs> you know get all and stuff, right like it is it is all of those things yeah, yeah. I, the things i should not have to worry about yeah. right and then even in the explanation of it it's like why am i trying to sound like i'm justifying this when actually it should always have been that way anyway so there's just like another added layer of 
like psychology that's weighing that can be a heavy weight, like a daily heavy weight yeah. in that in the, yes. in the mindset. This is why I have I'm so grateful for my career in chamber music, in recital and concert. Let me just tell you. Yeah, I'm an opera singer and all of that stuff, but I the 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 empowerment that I feel when I make music with, with instrumentalists is just about the music. Yeah. It is not about all the other things, and I'm treated well and respected and have a say and and all that. And I know all singers when we come into the space, I know it can be complicated <laughs> sometimes. So we are. We, although we're in the same sandbox, we don't always play with the same tools, right? We're not always <laughs> different. It's different, right? But I have to say, I'm grateful for my ability to be able to go into that space because it gives, it allows me to feel, to feel like a full artist, mm -hmm. to feel like a full musician, to feel, to I love chamber music, the collaboration, you know, all of those things that are very different in opera yeah. and even concert music, right? Because it's like, 70, 50, 80 people on the stage and one, you know, this, this conductor or whatever, but I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for taking the, the costume away and just showing my art yeah. and my soul. That's what I feel like in that space. And I, I know everyone is not in the connection. I know every singer doesn't have that flexibility and every singer doesn't want to do that. Yeah. But for me, it is, it is extreme. I feel so grateful. I feel so blessed. I feel so comfortable now, you know, that I've done it enough and I want to continue to do that more so much so that my career is shifting mm. a lot more into like, doing more of those yep. things and maybe one or two hours a year. Next year, I'm not even scheduled for anything opera, mm. but um, I'm still working. I'm just grateful. Karen, we are so happy that you continue <laughs> to forge this path, um, <laughs> this unique path that we all have the pleasure of watching and seeing. Uh, I think you're the epitome of why representation does matter, no matter what it is. Um, just because your, your presence, I know, is inspiring so many those you know and those who you don't, um, uh, myself, I think, I think you would agree included. Thank you for, for being the trailblazer that you are, for speaking so honestly and earnestly with us um, and uh, uh, trusting us in this space to have, uh, to have these conversations. We so, so appreciate it. Thank you, Karen. And you mentioned the, um, the, I, what I, my, what I heard you saying in the chamber music realm, in the concert realm, there's a directness about the communication style, musically speaking, and that is what I felt with you today and with Joe. And so I just wanted to reiterate the thanks. And also maybe there's some someday soon that musically we can also share that directness, Absolutely. which would be awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm always down for a collaboration. We'll be doing That's what right. doing. Let's make it happen. That would be awesome. Tell one of your composer <laughs> friends, double oh. bass, Cello, cello and then soprano voice. We got it. We, we let's make that's it happen. Juicy right there. <laughs> that's, that's that's juicy. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can always, you know, if we need a violin. That's right. Maybe. If we maybe, we'll but you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I guess. Care. You know, I played violin in the fourth grade. Oh, I played wow. violin in the fourth grade. Okay. When it. I uh, was at Dunbar Elementary School, back when they had string programs in every school, yeah. you know, that was a thing back in the 80s or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that last like, four months, I was like, forget this. <laughs> this thing is like... <laughs> I love it. I think if someone had given me a cello, I really do think I was ahead of stuff with it, but I just did not like the sound of the violin. <laughs> hard, uh, hard. It's great. It does squeak a bit more easily than the cello, I gotta say. <laughs> we won't tell my brother that. Yeah. He doesn't do it that way. <laughs> this well, is so great to talk to you. Karen. All the best Thank to you, you in Portland and wherever country, continent, Whatever you you'll be going to next, though, they'll be lucky to have you. And as we, I'm doing as, a yeah a, a chamber. I'm doing an organ organ concert with Alan Morris. Oh next yeah, week. okay. Yeah. Big hug. <laughs> See, yeah. Big hug. I'll make sure. Oh. I'll make sure. I'll make sure I give it to. I believe he's oh. a fellow awesome. Georgian, so yeah, be, be sure to, to send yes. my best. You can <laughs> tell him uh, we played the Vierne, uh cello and organ sonata or something, but if. You can make a joke about Vierne to him. I just, he, he will get it from me and it'll be spot on. Yeah. I sure will. I will let him know. Awesome, Karen. Love to you guys. So much love to you, Karen. Yes, thank you so much.
Yeah, see you soon. All right, take care. All right, bye. bye. <laughs> oh, that was so great to talk to her. It's, Karen is is a lot of fun, a great inspiration, and le- totally leans in, as I said, unapologetically herself yeah. Yeah. Uh, to her beliefs, and that's which again we don't see very often in our industry. One thing that really resonated me with what she said was when she spoke about the agency mm-hmm. of a vocalist and how we as instrumentalists have a different sense of that from early on because yep. we have our instruments, we have, you know, we're learning about deliberate practice, even though we right. don't call it that from an er- generally an earlier age. And so the sense of, of self-efficacy of like, can do, I'm going to go do this right. or, okay, I'll go practice or I don't want to go practice right. isn't right. the case maybe. Um, but she really has like vocalists tap into that and she taps into that so much more that sense of agency and that idea of creating and self-creating their her career how huge that is with everything we've benefited we meaning the collective universe (laughs) from her presence and her creativity and her go get them spirit yeah and i i love the idea of like channeling that in all of us too maybe that's another episode we can talk about what that kind of individual and collective agency can actually be and how we can cultivate that. And is it possible that in instrumentalists, it's more like we almost take it for granted Mm. because it's been so much a part of us. Whereas for someone in Karen's position and training as a vocalist, when their training came later, that it's something that's been actively taught. And so she now knows it's a tool to use. Right. And so it's more conscious as part of her toolbox, which I really, I thought that was really powerful. Yeah, I think there are some instrumentalists who do go through that. I mean, uh, for those who are in the orchestra field, they get into a position where the agency is kind of taking care of for them. But for those who don't pursue orchestra, those in more in chamber music soloists, I think are a little bit more aligned with the track of the, the, the being your own individual artist and really having to pay one's own way. No, yeah. Yeah, I just really enjoyed enjoyed hearing her perspective on that. Um, I enjoyed hearing her perspective on um, uh, just the future of the field. Mm-hmm. And, and I loved her, her take on it because despite the fact that um, there might be some doubt on how things might change in a lifetime, it does not dissuade her from putting the, in the energy and the time and playing her role to be the change that she wants to see in the world. Yes, yeah. and I, I heard the the ad. I heard it as not will it change, but just how long will it change? Right. Because right. with a Karen, you know it's going to change. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, her being able to 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 keep it real in that way. I, I just love. I just love so. I love. It. It's so refreshing. Yeah. It's just so refreshing to hear. It's not. It's not. Um, uh, uh, cl- uh, cloaked in peasantry and tradition, and it's mm-hmm. just how can we bring our own individual life experiences to this this feel not to make it scarier, but to make it better, mm-hmm. so that p- it, it relates more to the audiences we want to reach. Because we historically we haven't had to do that. We don't. We 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 haven't had to because we just played the music and people paid for us to do it. Right. Uh, but in this age of relevance, if you will. Um, they, those conversations are more important than ever. So it's just, again, to see her trailblazing the way and, and and inspiring so many. It's so hopeful and it's so ultimately optimistic about what we can, this is what we can do. Yes. yes. So let's do it. Amen. <laughs> All right, everyone, as we wrap up our time together, we want to invite you to join us for a bit of fun. Name that tune. We will be playing a quick segment of a piece of music. If you think you know it, go and submit your answers via the question box on our Instagram stories. We'll choose one winner to receive a jar of, wait for it, Joe's Jam, which (laughs) supports Project 440. Are you ready? Take a listen.
So if you think you know what that tune was, go and submit your answer via the question box on our Instagram stories. Or you can send us an email at info at tacitnomore.com. One winner will receive a jar of Joe's delicious jam. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Find us on Instagram at tacitnomore. Please share the show on social media and leave a rating and a review. Tacit No More is produced by Joseph Conyers, Yumi Kendall, Andrew Meller, and Lindsay Sheridan. Any views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not reflect any entities with which they are associated.